It's good to be with all of you today. Um, Jeremy is passing out a handout, and let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Uh, Father, we're grateful for um, your love for us. We're thankful for um, this um, new Lord's Day you've given us to be together as your people. Um, we pray that you'd bless our worship, Father, and about an hour that you would be with us by your spirit and you would empower us in that way and, and be present with us. And we ask, Father, now that as we spend some time studying your word this morning in preparation for worship, that you would also grant us wisdom and the help of your spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we are beginning a new um, semester of adult Sunday school here at Colleyville Presbyterian Church. It's great to have you with us. Um, we are picking up right where we left off in May of last year um, for the first two Sundays um, of this fall. Uh, we'll be completing the study that we began um, last April um, in uh, the epistle of 1 John. So that's what our goal is today, is to cover the first half of chapter 5 and then um, the second part of chapter 5 next week. Um, to give you an idea of where we're going after that, um, this fall we're going to spend some time learning to sing and chant the psalms together. Um, we have Paul Buckley here, um, who is our uh, music director, um, who is um, with us now. And one of the things that Paul has a great deal of expertise in and has done um, a number of times traveling around to different churches in the United States is um, to go and teach psalm workshops on um, chanting and singing the psalms. Um, so we're going to do that together in adult Sunday school class and give Paul a chance to teach us some things and learn together. We're going to have the um, teenagers uh, join us for that. Um, and that is going to start in October. Um, so the next two Sundays we're going to uh, finish, or today and next Sunday finish First John, and then the latter, last two Sundays in September. Um, I'm just going to kind of give an introduction to that um, kind of workshop that Paul is going to do for us over four Sundays. I'm going to spend two Sundays just talking about the importance of song and Christian worship and why it's important for us to sing together as a church. And then we'll talk some about the Psalms in particular and why I think it's a good idea for us to learn to sing and chant the Psalms together um, that we might um, mature and glorify our worship in that way. Um, so that's the plan uh, for this fall uh, for the first couple months. And then um, at the end of October, we'll pick up with a new topic um, for adult Sunday school then. Um, it's uh, good to be back into 1 John, though, with you. I'm thankful for this letter, um, and um, I just, I'm always glad to spend time um, with you all studying God's Word together and just talking about it, reading it, discussing it. Um, I think it's always a valuable thing for us to do, and I'm grateful to have some time this morning um, to do that today with 1 John um, chapter 5. Um, I, I thought about how to spend our time this morning, and you know, I could try to do some kind of comprehensive summary of uh, 1 John, um, but that would probably take you know, 20 or 30 minutes in order to do it well. And in some ways, I think as I reflect back on our time this spring in 1 John together, uh, 1 John is, I think, just a, it's just a difficult book to summarize well. Um, there's so much going on, um, the, the way that, that John um, talks about and, 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 and moves through different arguments and then comes back to other things, uh, makes it hard even to just sort of give it a simple summary. You almost have to experience it in order um, um, to really understand it uh, fully. <clears throat> and certainly the audio um, from our classes in the spring um, are available for you. But um, if you'd like to go back and review some of those things or if you missed those classes. Um, I will just 
want to give a couple key themes in John that we saw in the first four chapters and that kind of set us up for chapter five. Um, the first key theme I think we saw in first John was that the end of the Christian life, John is arguing, is sharing in the fellowship and joy and love of the triune God. So John has this vision for the Christian life that is all about a communion with God. And, and the idea that, that, that he is writing this letter even to invite his readers into a deeper experience of fellowship and joy, um, the fellowship and joy that the Father and the Son share with each other, um, that is shared with those who participate in the life of the Son. Again and again, he is talking about the way in which God abides in us and with us, that, God's, uh, that we love others because of the way that God's love abides in us. Um, and, and, and so John's vision of the Christian life is one um, that is about communion. Um, another significant theme in 1 John is the necessity of walking in the light um, by honestly confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness through the mediation of Jesus. Um, and we saw this theme especially, of course, in the latter half of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2. Um, this, this dichotomy of light and darkness is really important for John. Um, for John, you, do, you don't want to be in the darkness. To be in the darkness is to be blind, is to be unable to see. Um, what you want to do is to be walking in the light. And John gives two real fundamental tests for walking in the light. One is that you acknowledge your sin um, to God. Um, you don't hide it. Um, and that you cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus in that way. Um, that's the first test of um, walking in the light. Um, the second test of walking in the light is obedience. This is the third theme in John, First John. The importance of obedience to the commandments of God is proof of our belonging to him, particularly the commandment to love one another. Again and again, John talks about how if you don't love your brother, um, you're walking in darkness. You're not walking in the light. If you're going to walk in the light, um, you have to love your brother. How can you love the God whom you can't see, John says, if you don't love your brother whom you can see? Um, it doesn't make any sense. And so John is constantly pushing back against um, any kind of lack of integrity that might exist between what we profess to believe with our lips and what we um, demonstrate in terms of our belief according in terms of our lives. <coughs> so John is concerned about these things um, having congruence, having integrity with one another. And, um, and that, that really, that, this in obedience is um, such a key theme for John throughout his letter. He's constantly emphasizing the necessity of obedience to God's commands, particularly God's command to love your brother, to love one another. And then I'd say the final theme that, that really shows up a lot in 1 John is um, the confidence that John wants his readers to have. Um, really, John is all about, 1 John is all about assurance. And he wants his readers to be confident, to be confident that they are in God and that in God, in Christ, they have overcome. There is no reason to be afraid um, of anything, that the world actually is passing away. Um, and that they are um, enduring, they are overcoming. That word overcome or conquer is one that shows up again and again in the epistle of 1 John, and indeed it'll be in our passage this morning. Any thoughts or questions about any of that before we jump into the text this morning in 1 John 5? Sharing fellowship with God, walking in the light, obedience to his commands that is loving one another and overcoming um, four key themes in John's epistle.
Let me read um, here from 1 John 1 through 12, and then we'll begin to talk about it some. 1 John 5, 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony only that God of God that he is born concerning his son ever believe son of God as the testimony itself ever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, before we jump in, um, I've got a lot of things that I've written out to talk about, but what what jumps out at you here? What... what um, what raises questions? What, um, what seems interesting um, here and in what John has to say? Anything? Yeah, James. Yes, what does it mean that Jesus came by the water and the blood? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting uh, idea that John has. What else? Yeah, Jason. Yeah, the work, the role of the Spirit is one that's significant in that latter half in terms of giving us confidence. The Spirit bears witness, gives testimony. Yeah.
almost feels nebulous even though he's giving you the object as well. Yes, there's, there's this emphasis on the internal testimony of the Spirit um, that, that testifies um, inside of us. We bear the Spirit of God, which is the, has, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, um, John says. And I think this is part of the reason, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, why the water and the blood important um, because I think those are more public uh, references but it is interesting that the way that John um, carves room out for the spirit to bear witness and testify um, yeah to the veracity of our identity as children of God um, and I, I think there's that's right there is a there is room for the internal testimony of the spirit um, anything else that jumps out here uh-huh Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And, and there's that resonance, though, as well, that that John is, is um, reiterating that um, the way that we know that we love the children of God is that we love God and obey his commandments, right? There's that continued emphasis on obedience, which carries through from the Old Testament to the New, for sure. Yeah, anything else jump out? Yeah, Eric. Mm-hmm. It has already overcome the world. Right. Right. Absolutely. We'll talk about that too. All right, well, let's, let's jump into the text here. Um, uh, I want to look at the first couple verses, uh, the logic of um, verses 1 through 3, the first part of 3. I've just tried to kind of simplify what John is saying. Sometimes his sentences become kind of convoluted, right, and even difficult to keep track of what, what he's actually articulating if you don't read it carefully. So I think John is saying these first three verses first, all who believe Jesus is the Christ are born of God. So um, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you are therefore uh, born of God, which um, believing Jesus is the Christ is a, is a massive statement, right? You're saying something about his um, relationship to God, his relationship to Israel, his relationship to the Old Testament scriptures, um, his death and resurrection. Um, so, so believing the gospel, the good news about Jesus, um, means that you have been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father, so if you love the Father, you then therefore love whoever is born of the Father. So again, there's this emphasis on the congruence between our love for God uh, means that we must love those who are born of God. Um, and, and 
And this is important in John, 1 John. Um, John is constantly emphasizing not just that we love people generally. I mean, I'm sure he's not opposed to that, so to speak. But, but the emphasis again and again is on loving um, those who are born of God, loving those who are our brothers or our sisters in Christ um, is the great test of the veracity of our faith. And then finally, um, John says, we know we love God's children. So how do we know um, we are loving those who are born of God? Well, we know we are loving God's children when we love God and obey his commandments. So again, that emphasis on obedience. Loving God, therefore, means keeping his commandments. Loving God can be defined as obeying his word. (coughs) And then John says, keeping God's commandments are not burdensome, are not onerous. Um, They're not um, uh, weighty in a way that that, um, is overwhelming. So just simple application of what John is saying here. Uh, First, loving our Christian neighbor means loving them by keeping God's commandments uh, towards them. And I think that's an important thing to wrestle with. John is is constantly wanting to define what love is um, in his um, uh, uh, epistle here. And the way that he does that again and again is by uh, in accordance to God's command, loving in accordance to God's commandments. So um, the way that we know we love our our, um, our siblings in Christ is if we keep God's commandments toward them. Um, so loving our brothers and sisters in Jesus is not simply a, a kind of, you know, let's be nice to each other or let's have um, positive feelings towards one another. But fundamentally it's about are we treating one another in ways that are in keeping with the commandments of God? Are we following, you know, the, particularly think about the Ten Commandments, Um, that latter half of the the table of the law with each other in terms of do not kill, do not um, commit adultery, do not uh, steal, um, do not bear false witness, et cetera, et cetera, do not covet. Um, These are in the laws that that flow out from those things. Um, Are we uh, obeying God's law in that way and thus loving one another? Secondly, loving God means keeping his commandments. And this is a an idea that um, uh, you know John gets um, not just from himself but from the Old Testament as well. In Deuteronomy, which is the great Old Testament book about the heart, um, Moses emphasizes this kind of thing again and again, um, that to love God is to keep his commandments. So loving God, like loving our neighbors in Christ, um, is not some sort of just particular posture of the heart towards God. It is actually submissive obedience um, to his commandments. That's what uh, loving God means. Uh, for example, in Deuteronomy ten twelve, Moses says, and now Israel, what does the Lord, that is Yahweh, your God, require of you? But to fear Yahweh, your God, to walk in all his ways, right? To obey him, to love him, to serve Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of Yahweh, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Um, And other verses in Deuteronomy 11 have the same emphasis. But the important thing to see there is that for Moses, loving God is synonymous with keeping his commandments. Um, That's what it means to love him um, with your whole heart, strength, (coughs) whole heart, strength, and mind, and soul, is to to obey him, um, is to be um, submissive to him in that way. So that, that connection, that definition of love 
and its connection with obedience is important in this section. Um, so loving our Christian neighbors and loving God is not some sort of Gnostic or internal or private thing. It's practical. Um, it's public. It's revealed by how we live um, in the world. Um, we can say, does this person love God? Does he love his neighbor uh, based on how he lives? Did you have a comment or question, Jeremy? <coughs> yes, sir. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think sometimes personal holiness can be understood in a sort of negative sense. You know, you don't, uh, you know, make yourself impure by taking in certain things, um, avoiding certain practices, those kinds of things. But yes, certainly in the scriptures, holiness, I mean, not to say that those things aren't part of holiness, they are, um, but certainly holiness is also defined by uh, the way that you treat other people um, in a fundamental way. Yeah, that's right. Any thoughts? Yeah, Jason. Mm-hmm. And the obligation uh, and the pressure that he needs to keep. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, I have not just internal uh, mental knowledge, but also heart knowledge. Yeah, not just intellectual, but, but something that goes beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, James. 
sure. test of whether or not you've been born of God. <clears throat> and then you go on and you're like, oh, but all of these love the Father, and all of these love the children of God, and you obey his commandments, so there are like four things now. <laughs> um, but like, I think that maybe even to sort of rearticulate, I think part of what you're saying is like, for John, it is all one thing. Yes. Right, you're in the darkness or you're in the light. Right. You you love God or you hate God. If right. You've been born of God, you have this whole interrelated <laughs> package of yes. um, things to believe in besides like love of the Father, love of the children of God, and the commandments. Right. No, that's right. I think I think there is in John this this overwhelming emphasis on congruence, integrity. Right. Um, wanting. There need to be there needs to be a fittedness between um, all of all of who we are, um, and and I think yeah I think that's right James. It's not just one thing; it's four things. But in some ways, it is just one thing. Um, they're all the same thing. Different ways of looking at the same thing. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, the the third thing just to think about here that John is wanting to say to us, and I think this is interesting thing that he's arguing, um, he's saying God's commandments are not burdensome. Um, it is not a burdensome thing that God asks us to do. And of course, this is reiterated um, in the scriptures. Um, uh, Moses in Deuteronomy 30, um, he tells <coughs> the Israelites after they've covenanted with God, um, he says to them, um, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither it is far off. Is it far off? It is not in heaven um, that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Um, there's this emphasis on, I mean, Jesus in uh, Matthew um, 11, of course, says, um, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Um, it, it is a, a not a, a burdensome thing in and of itself to keep the law of God. And this is why the psalmist um, speaks of the law of God the way he does, that it's simple and pure and renews the heart and that it um, you know, all of these things that the law does for us, um, it's a good thing. Um, so, so what do we think about this, um, this argument that John makes, that, or this assertion John makes, that for those who belong to God and are being sanctified by his spirit, God's commandments are not onerous, they're not burdensome. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, BJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And return to the law as uh, like uh, legalism and pious legalism. Sure.
Sure. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. And uh, for somebody who is outside the wall, uh, it's a barrier between mm-hmm. God and people and his kingdom and stuff. Uh, but for those inside, when we breach the wall, we don't see it as uh, a hindrance, but a guardrail. Mm-hmm. Keeps us safe. Here is no right. Just briefly, I think there, there. I mean, any metaphor like that has, you know, strengths and weaknesses, and doesn't perfectly capture everything. I think, I think there's probably some helpful truth to that. Certainly, our relationship to the law changes um, in terms of uh, after our regeneration and we're made um, a child of God. Um, the law becomes something different to us than it was previously. So I, I would, I would affirm that. Um, I would say though that, you know. I wouldn't say that the law is so much the barrier between us and God as it is our sin, right? Our inability to obey the law or our, not just our inability, but our willed decision to not obey the law is, <laughs> you know, so it's not so much the, the law that's preventing us from, um, from being near to God, but, um, but our, our rebellion against God. So that, that would be a clarification, I would say. Let me um, see Jeremy and then we'll, we'll keep moving. Yes, sir. Right. And so his idea is like, oh, that this is this is over here is like the law for me, but above that is this text, so it's always like the creation of the world and the creation of the purposes of God all throughout the world, or the human story of how it's chosen so that it has a relationship so that they can be separated. Even even the way they Yeah, of course. Yeah, certainly Yeah, we yeah the Gospels are full of Jesus's critique of the Pharisees and scribes for burdening the people with um, God's law um, and and wanting to return um, to a kind of pure application of the law of God rather than um, the kind of oral tradition or the commentary that had been added to the law and yeah that's a great distinction um, certainly Jesus is doing that yes sir. Yeah, and that and Calvin has in the back page of your handout. Calvin has a great point in his commentary in First John. He says, "Our difficulty in keeping God's law does not arise from the nature of the law, but from the vice of our flesh, 
Um, so the problem is not so much the law, right? Or it's not the law. Um, the problem is our corruption of our nature um, that still remains even um, in those who are in Christ. I'm just curious, I mean, just in a sort of, moving it from a sort of theoretical, like just practically, do y'all buy this? Like what John's saying, is it burdensome to keep the law of God? You know, like in your daily life? Let's <laughs> James and then Mike. Yeah, I think as much that it's never hard to do it, but that like we're the ones who know that like like we want we want to live in accordance with the law because that's a much less burdensome life. I think yeah, I think that's a helpful distinction. And I think John is saying both. I think both he's saying, you know, it it is an easier way to live, but certainly part of the way reason it's easier is because it doesn't carry the burdens that sin creates in our lives um, as well. Mike, what what are your thoughts? Absolutely. Yes. No. Uh, yeah. There's certainly applications there to the civil law as well. Yeah. No. I think that's right. Um, yeah. The the relationship there between commandments to love God and love your neighbor are related to what the commandments themselves actually entail, what they teach us, which is loving God and loving neighbor. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I would also just say, um, yeah, Terry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, um, and Romans 7 um, is about the power of the law in a negative kind of way um, and, and the, the kind of 
conviction and guilt and those kinds of things that come from the law. Yeah, Esther. Sure. <clears throat> yes. Yes. No, it's true. It is. It is. It's hard. People, um, after the shine is rubbed off, right, and um, you kind of their weaknesses and and all of those things, and they've hurt you some, and you've hurt them, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, no, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, Eric. to randomly pick someone yeah. Yeah, a, a relationship that's been um ruptured and mended many times is far stronger than one that's never been threatened, um, which is a really interesting thing to think about in terms of this idea of living community and loving one another. Um, did you have a hand up, Sam? Mm-hmm. And then one of them, yeah. Proverbs is said about Haman, is one where it talks about the leech has gotten to his ear. Hmm. And then it talks about how you're not having any satisfaction. And it points out the dangers of evil. And I think that that's interesting how just kind of, as I read this, that he's kind of speaking like the king of, he's angry. But like burdensome, but like the root Sure. Right. Right.
importantly that, and that's, let me wrap this up in terms of um, this talk about commandments are burdensome. I want to cover the rest of the text this morning, but just, just simply to say, I do think that there's this dynamic with the Christian life where as we submit ourselves, even um, in faith, um, you know, trusting God's commandments, that they're good, even if they don't seem good or they seem hard, um, there is this dynamic where obedience, um, God uses that to actually purify and change our desires and what seems burdensome and not burdensome to us changes over time as we walk in the way of God, as we walk in obedience to his commands. Um, so there's kind of this, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it, but there's this sort of process that happens, I think, as you submit yourself to God's law, you begin to realize, it's like, it's like I mean, it's really how any, you know, you develop a taste for something, right, um, by trying it and doing it and, and, and growing in your knowledge of it, and you appreciate it more and more. And I think there's a similar dynamic to the law of God um, that may seem burdensome or difficult, that as we submit ourselves to them, our desires actually change um, such that the burdens are less than they once were, um, that, that, that it changes in that way. So I, I would just say that as something to think about as we think about this. And I, I really do think that John's right, that God's commandments are not burdensome. And I think that because God, you know, as Mike was pointing out, God made the world, right? He knows what's best for us. He knows um, what's um, easiest for us in terms of um, uh, walking with God. And and, um, and living in this world and relating to one another. Um, and that's what he's given us in his law. Um, and so, yeah, there's this dynamic that, and, and I think Calvin's quote is really important, that um, the difficulty that we have, the, the ways that God's law feels burdensome is not because of the law, because the law is onerous or burdensome, but because of um, the corruption of our flesh and our nature. All right, let me, um, I just want to run through the rest of this um, briefly and, and we can talk about anything else that um, needs to be discussed. So <clears throat> verses um, four and five, um, John says, for everyone has been born of God, overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Um, there's this emphasis in the scriptures and, and really in John in particular on conquering um, and not just, as Eric was saying earlier, the conquering of Christ, which we're probably fine with, um, but our, us conquering. Um, a really fascinating way this gets fleshed out is in Revelation 2, um, where John has the vision and, um, and, and Revelation 2 and 3 are the letters that Jesus is sending um, to um, different churches. And then again and again, he is addressing in those letters, if you read them, uh, to the one who conquers, he says, um, this will be given. Um, this will be given. And it's the same word that's used here, the one who overcomes, nikeo. It's the same word in Revelation for conquers. Um, and, and all these remarkable things are promised to people who overcome or conquer. Um, to eat the tree of life, Revelation says, to not be hurt by the second death to receive the hidden manna and a white stone with a new name that no one knows but Jesus himself that he'll give to you. Um, you're, you're, Jesus promises authority over the nations to be given, um, that, that those who, over, who conquer or overcome will be clothed in white garments and will not be blotted out of the book of life. 
will become a pillar in the temple of God, will sit with Christ on his throne and judge. Um, um, It's fascinating, all these promises that are given. So what does it mean to conquer or overcome? What is John talking about here in his epistle? Um, I think it means not victory as we naturally imagine it, um, but victory through suffering and death in the way of Jesus, right? Revelation 12, 11, um, John said, and they have conquered him, that is Satan, these are the the saints, the martyrs, uh, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Um, So there's this idea that um, the, the saints who were slain following Jesus actually have conquered, but the way that they've conquered is through um, suffering and death, which of course is the same way um, that Jesus conquers. And so I think that gives us a paradigm, right? Um, uh, Jesus in John 16 says to his disciples on the night before his death, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world, right? Very similar language to what um, John uses here, that we have overcome the world. Um, the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Um, but then what happens? He then goes and is betrayed and is um, bound and is beaten and is tortured and is killed um, and then rises again. So this is what it means to overcome, is to participate in the way of Jesus in this way. <coughs> um, and I think that's a really fascinating thing to think about. Um, and it's something that we access by faith. We believe by faith, um, even in the deterioration of our bodies and um, um, the, the increasing difficulty of life, um, we are conquering um, as we cling to Jesus. Um, and I, I think that's something that's true not just for martyrs, but that's true in the experience that all of us have of just difficulty in this world, um, suffering and the suffering that we feel in our bodies, the suffering that we experience in relationships uh, with others, um, the difficulty that we carry in our emotions and our grief um, and all of these things. Um, Uh, we overcome in the same way that Jesus overcame um, through um, suffering and death. I'm going to talk for a minute about this concept of water and blood. Verses 6 to 8 say, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, um, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Um, I think probably most likely what John is talking, I mean, we could debate what he might mean here, and certainly there are different interpretations, um, but I think probably what he means by water and blood is his baptism and his death on the cross. Um, And the reason I think that... is because obviously there are, um, well, there's a history of interpretation that follows. I didn't think of it, of course. Um, but I, I obviously you have the resonance between the water with baptism, the blood with his um, shed blood on the cross. Um, but also you have, um, these are, um, baptism and death for Jesus are two really important public events that bear witness and testimony about his identity. Um, both times where the Spirit is involved in public ways. You think about the baptism, right? Jesus goes down um, to the water and then comes up from the water, um, from the river, <coughs> which, by the way, doesn't, I don't think, mean means he goes under the water. I think it means he walks down to the riverbed and then comes up. Um, and 
um, the Spirit um, comes down from heaven and a voice uh, in the form of a dove and a voice from heaven speaks as this is my beloved son um, with whom I'm well pleased. So it's this sort of public testimony to Jesus' identity. And then the cross is a similar thing, right? Um, the blood obviously is associated with the cross for obvious reasons, um, but there are all sorts of resonances with the Spirit. John um, talks about these things. Jesus cries out with a loud voice and offers up his spirit to God. Um, there's an earthquake that's recorded in Matthew um, and, and other gospels as well. The ground shakes, right? There's, there's darkness um, for three um, three hours, um, those kinds of things. So there, there's these like really public um, objective testimonies um, to the identity of Jesus um, that are brought about by the Spirit. And they serve, of course, as bookends <clears throat> um, of his earthly ministry. So that that is my... Um, best estimate of what John is talking about there and that the Spirit um, uses these things to testify to the veracity of Jesus um, and his identity as the Christ and the Son of God. Um, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, um, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son, and he's referring back to the water and the blood and the Spirit. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Um, So the Spirit in some ways indwells us and testifies to um, the identity of Christ um, and and his person in that way. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is a really fascinating thing. I mean, again, this is like what James was saying earlier. John is just so, you know... He just, he just talks in absolutes, right? Um, um, if you don't believe the things that God has said about his son, you make God out to be a liar. That's what you're God of. Um, you are, you are, it, you, there's no neutrality, right, for John in relationship to God. Um, either you think God is telling the truth and you are submitting to him and loving him and, um, and believing in his son, or you hate God and think he's a liar. Um, because he has made public claims about um, the truth of who he is and who Jesus is. And I think that's something that's important for us to wrestle with and think about um, as we think about apologetics, as we think about um, what it means to engage in the world um, as, as Christians. And then in verses 11 and 12, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Um, and I'll just close with this and we'll take a question or two. But um, again, you see this emphasis that I just, I just want to pull out whenever it shows up in the scriptures, which is all over the place, which is that God does not give us things, good things, apart from his son, Jesus Christ, and our union with him, right? Eternal life is not some sort of mist that comes down from God Um, that we get blessed with because we have faith in Jesus. No, eternal life has been given to Jesus Christ because he died and then was raised from the dead and has triumphed over death. And we have been given eternal life only to the extent that we share communion with him, that we are in him, that we're united to him, right? Um, Jesus is the source of eternal life. Um, And so we can only live forever um, if we're united to Jesus, right? Jesus, God doesn't just sort of wave his hand and say, now you get to live forever because you trusted in Jesus. No, it's only as we're united to him, as we are engrafted, as Calvin says, into Christ um, that we experience the benefits um, of our salvation. We get everything Jesus gets. That's the deal. 
um, as we're united to him. Jesus lives forever. And so if we're united to Jesus, we live forever too. Okay, um, any kind of comments or questions about anything I've said? Um, anything verses one to 12? Yeah, Jeremy. <clears throat> Right. Yeah, overcoming the world is nothing more than just simply loving God, obeying God, loving our neighbors, um, keeping God's commandments um, in relationship to them, and, and suffering and dying and trusting the Lord is going to raise us to life. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the Christian life. That's how we overcome. That is the, the victory that overcomes the world, um, our faith. Um, and, it's, and, and the important thing to see there is that nothing that I just said is not descriptive of the life of Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's the model. That's what he did. He loved God. He loved his neighbors. He obeyed God's commandments in relationship to God and his neighbor, and he suffered and died and overcome. And of course, that's going to be the same route we take, right? The same thing. Yeah. How could it be otherwise? Yeah, James. Um, I think verse four at the beginning of verse four is very interesting. Um, I'd be curious about the Greek there, but um, his commandments are not burdensome for everyone who has born of God, has been born of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Children, and so right. that that love that you have for God, um, and your your faith, um, those are there enabling you to overcome the world. And so, in that sense, his commandments aren't burdensome. Those who aren't enabled by the love of God and by faith will be defeated. They're not sure. They will not overcome. Appreciate that. Let's stand and pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, thankful for John, thankful for his faithfulness by your spirit to write these things to us. Father, grant us um, the grace we need um, to listen and to learn and to grow and to practice um, all that we learn um, from your word, even from this portion of your word. Um, Father, may we indeed be those who 
um, overcome um, uh, the world uh, through our faith. Um, give us that victory, Father, we pray, in union with your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.